0: Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Freezing my ass off, dude, but you know, that's just winter in San Francisco. Well, the body of this podcast was recorded when I was back in Seattle, but this intro I'm recording for the first time down in uh, sunny Florida. So I'm here for the time being. So uh, I'm quite warm. You're looking tan too. (laughs) Looks like you out in the sun. No, I have not. I've been in the office for the past like, four days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe this
1: weekend. But uh, yeah. you guys, we got a good one for you. Uh, this, I think, you know, again, the theme of this podcast is this is the only podcast that both that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. And we brought on Maurizio from Ledin. And Ledin is based out of Canada. They're one of those companies with Bitcoin savings accounts as well as Um, as well as uh, Bitcoin collateralized loans. But something really interesting from a Bitcoin Maximus company is that they actually give out some of those loans in DAI. Typically, Maximus would never touch another cryptocurrency, uh, but they're finding utility, especially for their Latin American uh, customers, using the DAI stable coin in particular. So I think that is super, super interesting. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsors. The very first one is eToro. This is an international cryptocurrency financial institution, and they have been supporting Bitcoin and crypto for a very long time. They have been supporting this podcast for a very long time, um, and their trading platform is absolutely unique in the United States. Um, some of the features that they offer that no one else offers is their copy trader feature. Um, essentially you can jump onto eToro and with one click of the mouse, you can copy anyone's, uh, any of the professional traders on the platform's trading strategy. What that means is you can hop in there and you know, you can just put in some fiat and you can get exposure to a professional traders, active trading strategy without having to do all the charting without having to do, You know, all of the kind of legwork there, and you just get exposure to their strategy. On the flip side, you can also just get on there, buy your Bitcoin, and pull it off the exchange and keep it in your hardware wallet. So eToro really offers a very wide spectrum of different trading and investing strategies, as well as a wide spectrum of the best cryptocurrencies available. So if you want to check out eToro, b.tc backslash eToro p.o.v Again, that is b.t.c. backslash eToro P.O.V. Working on better, getting a better handle, and working on getting you guys a sign up bonus as well. So, um, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we can get you a sign up bonus when you sign up through P.O.V.'s uh, link. But uh, yeah, eToro, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Everyone, check
0: them out. Moving on to our second sponsor, which eToro is a previous customer of. Quantstamp. Quantstamp is the leading company in blockchain security smart contract auditing. Uh, With their previous clients, they have over $100 billion worth of value secured by some of the smart contracts that they have uh, audited through their various customers. If you go to quantstamp.com, you can uh, check out their extremely robust resume of previous customers, including Binance, MakerDAO, eToro, uh, Nuo, uh, and then some more recent ones, like pool together Sablier, uh, R d, so a very extensive list uh, of very awesome companies that, that Quantsamp has helped secure Quantsamp to me is one of these companies that has really matured faster than everyone else and uh, the issue of smart contract securities are, security is not going to go away. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the future of QuantStamp and, and how they are going to expand. They're already in four offices around the, around the globe, San Francisco, Toronto, Taipei, Tokyo. Uh, and so as crypto grows, I really li- um, am looking forward to QuantStamp becoming a leader in, in the space of smart contract security. So check them out at expertaudits.com uh, and check out their suite of services. QuantStamp, thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, we we love QuantStamp. And
1: speaking of smart contracts, I always say that my favorite smart contract company is Unchained Capital. And we are super, super honored to have their support here at POV Crypto. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial institution that really embraces the mantra of not your keys, not your coins. Their whole business is built on the foundation of multi-sig and their whole business is really based on the fundamentals that kind of underpin the Bitcoin and the crypto space um, of self custody, no rehypothecation, and uh, even in their uh, their vault where they are are serving uh, a collaborative custody type of a service, uh, they never rehypothecate. They always make sure that the customers controlling the majority of the keys and uh, you know, really a a special and unique company that is enabled by the technology that Bitcoin creates. Um, some of my favorite products that Unchained offer are their two of three multi-sig vault. So for all of you guys who are stacking sats and you want a really secure way and really easy way to, um, you know, get around having only one key on one hardware wallet, um, you know, what I do is uh, I have a vault with them. Uh, when as I'm stacking sats, um, I'm regularly withdrawing my sats into the vault. The vault is controlled by one ledger and one trezor, and then um, obviously they have the third key. If I ever want to pull my money out, I just take one of my keys that I have with me. The other one is in an undisclosed location somewhere else, um, and then I sign with it. Uh, what Unchained Capital does is, you know, they I have set specific rules and parameters around how my account works. Um, and if, uh, let's say, you know, I'm withdrawing a hundred percent of my funds, they're actually going to give me a call and say, Hey, are you actually, um, trying to withdraw these funds? And if, you know, they make contact with me and see my face over the video. Um, and I say, yeah, they, I'm trying to withdraw those funds. They're going to sign that second key. And then my funds are going to be withdrawn. Um, if for whatever reason, my, my treasure was compromised, someone got access to it and, uh, and they don't get, uh, and they don't get confirmation from me, they will not sign that second uh, transaction and uh, the transaction will never go through. So, this is a really secure way to add um, kind of banking level security and banking level kind of services to your Bitcoin setup. On top of that, they also have uh, crypto backed loans as well. So, um, if you need to leverage your crypto, don't sell it. You know, friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. Instead, get a crypto backed loan. Uh, it's actually tax beneficial as well. So um, very good strategy, especially with the upcoming bull market. Knock on wood. You guys check out Unchained Capital at unchained-capital or email them at hello at unchained-capital.com. Um, again, fantastic team. Um, happy, happy client. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for bearing with us through all of that. So let's just go ahead and get right into the podcast with Maurizio of Ledden. Welcome to POV Crypto. Uh,
1: this time we have Maurizio D. Bar- Barthol- Bartholomew. Uh, yeah, how do you say your last name? Yeah.
2: mail. Um, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, co-founder of Ledin. I'm um, super excited to have you on. For those of you who are not familiar with Ledin, Ledin is a uh, Bitcoin collateralized loan company based out of Canada, based out of Toronto, uh, they've been operating in Canada and, uh, in South America quite a bit and are recently, um, opening up shop in the U S uh, I won't take too much away from, from you Moriti. I'm sure you can explain the whole operations more, but, uh, you guys do a lot of interesting things with Bitcoin, especially in South America. And, uh, You've recently started using stablecoins, which is kind of the impotence of this uh, interview. Uh, really excited to have you on because this is kind of like the perfect podcast for talking about Bitcoin and DAI and kind of how it all fits together. So without further ado, you know why don't you give us a little introduction and uh, we can get started from there.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks so much, you guys, for, uh, for having me on and, uh, and having an opportunity to talk about what we do. Um, my, my name is Mauricio. As you said, uh, co-founder of Ledin. Uh, Adam and I co-founded this company uh, formally two years ago. Uh, informally, we've been working on this project for you know almost three and a half, almost four years. Um, what we do essentially, and the, the ethos of our company is to help people save in Bitcoin and hold more Bitcoin. And uh, our first product, the product that we launched with, was uh, Bitcoin Back. Loans in dollars and essentially that was a way for people not to sell their Bitcoin uh, if they didn't want to and they came across a liquidity crunch or they just wanted to grow their business. Uh, It was a way for them to keep the Bitcoin. uh, Put all the potential upside and basically access the dollars they needed to to grow their business or or meet their expenses. Uh, From there, we evolved and we added the next natural progression product, which became our Bitcoin savings account. So that's a place where people can deposit Bitcoin and earn an interest. Uh, and what we do is essentially uh, we aggregate those Bitcoins and we lend it out to institutions. And that's how we make that return. Uh, and then our last product, our most recent one, which is some, the one which is very exciting because it's actually it's, it's going great. Uh, it's B2X. So we noticed that a lot of people were actually using our Bitcoin back loans to buy more Bitcoin. And uh, what we did was essentially provide an easy way for people to uh, essentially double their Bitcoin holdings through a Bitcoin back loan all in one step. So instead of them taking a loan and buying more Bitcoin and then putting that in collateral and taking a loan and buying more Bitcoin, we essentially short-circuit the whole thing and give them as most as they can. Um, and uh, that's the three products. And one new, and like you said, so I guess the, one of the big reasons we're here is essentially our, our DAI disbursements. Uh, so uh, Maker and ourselves uh, have been kind of working on this idea from earlier on this year about uh, releasing a, a product or a service where you could lock up Bitcoin and get die in one simple step uh, and that really came as a, as a sort of organic uh, solution that we wanted to provide to our users, namely in Latin America, because a lot of them, uh, they love their service. Uh, you know, we, we essentially, they were using us to get their dollars, uh, to get their loans in their in either dollars or fiat currencies. But sometimes they had issues at their bank uh, because they would, you know, sometimes they would treat the, uh, the receiving funds directly as income. So they had to go to the bank and show all this sort of proof to sort of release it and be able to access the money. Uh, in some cases, the banks essentially had limits, uh, inbound limits on what people could receive and send out. So this started creating a lot of friction around the, the, the essentially people getting the funds and they started asking us for stable coins. Even uh, you know, can you send us the funds in stable coins? Uh, and so when we uh, when we talked to enough of our clients, we started essentially serving the landscape of stable coin offerings and who we would like to partner with essentially to, to go ahead and facilitate this. And to us, Maker was the, the sort of, we landed on Maker for many reasons. Uh, and, and one of them really being the fact that, you know, we're from LATAM, over half of our team's from LATAM. You know, we like to think that we understand that market and, uh, and we care about that market. And we like to work with people that, you know, have similar views to us. And one thing that we really loved about Maker, outside of the technology and a lot of the other details that we can get into later, but uh, one of the main facts was, the, one of the main reasons was the fact they have a, a great team, uh, you know, in LATAM. Uh, and they're there 24/7. They get it, uh, and they're in a market like Argentina, which me myself being from Venezuela, uh, there's there's uh, there's similarities and and things that you there's things you can and cannot extrapolate uh, in Latin markets. But being there is anyone that's there, it's it's just so fast moving that you almost have to be there, uh, and or have to been there for a really long time to kind of get the nuances. So maybe I'll stop there. You know, I mean, you know, I've gone for a bit and I'll let you guys uh, see what else uh, you guys want to cover.
0: Yeah, so you said that the primary use case that your customers have typically been using Lendin for for is uh, just doing a leverage position on Bitcoin. Uh, And so taking that Bitcoin, getting a loan on it, uh, and then buying more Bitcoin. Uh, And it sounds like you guys are kind of providing a service that many people, including myself, have used MakerDAO for itself, which is... Just a leverage position on Ether. Uh, so it seems like you guys are kind of operating uh, as kind of in how DeFi protocols and Ethereum are operating for Ether. But you, it seems like you guys are kind of providing a similar service to uh, Bitcoin. Do I have that right?
2: Well, just to, you know to clarify, you know, about thirty to forty percent of our users uh, are you know were telling us or do tell us that they use the funds to buy more Bitcoin. So there's still a large, you know, 65 to 60% of our users that end up. So the the most common use cases are to diversify out of Bitcoin. So people that have uh, large Bitcoin holdings and they want to diversify in a tax effective way, Uh, using a loan is not a taxable event uh, in most places because you're not parting ways with the ownership of the asset. You're actually taking a loan on it. So it's a very tax effective way for you to diversify if you have a holding in Bitcoin and you have a built-in profit to it and you want to defer it to a better tax year. Uh, so, diversification is a big use case. Another actually very common use case is starting a new business uh, or, or funding an existing business. Uh, working capital essentially uh, those are that 's another big use case uh, and and then the other one uh, which is I guess lower than buying more Bitcoin is paying down higher cost debt uh, so our debt actually tends to be very efficient relative to other uh, costs of of borrowing and people essentially take out the loans and the other thing is, in, in most cases, when you take out a Bitcoin back loan, it doesn't sit on your lo- on your credit profile that the bank and everyone else sees. So it's it's very effective for you to pay off other types of debt.
0: So how how would you compare and contrast, other than one being a protocol and one being a company, how would you compare and contrast Ledin with MakerDAO?
2: Um, so I've made this comparison in the past where I think in general terms, the, the easiest analogy that I would draw would be um, I see um, decentralized finance as uh, the equivalent of P2P finance and traditional finance. Uh, in in that there are still some benefits and some limitations because where it can create a lot of solutions, uh, it, it has some limitations to who can it be involved. Right. So in the, for example, in the protocol level or in the fully automated level, it, it's hard for institutions to get comfortable with where that collateral is being held, how is that being monitored. So the players that the incentives draw are very different. Uh, so as a centralized entity, we draw, we you know we have uh, investors in our, de- in our book like Colche. So these are very large institutions that have very, very long investment horizons and they can put, commit money to work for very long periods of time. Uh, so that allows us to give fixed rates rather than variable rates. And so, it, it, and there's, there's, there's quite a bit of differences uh, as far as where the incentives lie for who can operate in it, and from a user standpoint, there's also incentives to you know variable versus fixed, uh, and knowing where your counterparty is, having customer support. Uh, you know, there's 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 quite a bit of, I, I would say there's there's quite a bit of differences, uh, and largely in LATAM because a lot of people. A lot of people in that Time didn't even know that our product existed. We're introducing this. And there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of education. So we try to put out as much content as we can. We work with a lot of educators in Spanish to put out content in Spanish. Uh, that's very important to us. There's other companies in this space that have done a really good job creating awareness about what we do and the use cases in North America and in English. But in that Time, we find that we're many times the sort of the deliverers of these news and we have to explain it. Uh, and then one thing we we do, which I guess is somewhat similar to the protocol levels, we offer real-time proof of reserves. Uh, we're one of the only companies that does that. Uh, actually, we show Nick everybody- Carter
0: would be very proud. <laughs>
2: uh, so we, uh, we're we actually one of the very few companies that, do- that does that. And we're we're going to essentially be making more of a push for people to understand what that means because operationally, uh, it's not the simplest thing to do, but we think it's the right thing to do. Uh, and so that's why we want to make sure people understand what they're getting when they're using in Because again, there's-, there's- few options to get where you can get financing and similar op- offerings but we think that you know honest, honesty and transparency is going to win down the run and, and that's kind of what we want to push
1: um Riccio, so kind of talking about specifically why you, cho- you chose Dai over other stable coins and wait and do you work with other stable coins or is it just specifically
2: Dai? Uh, right now, the you know we're only uh, essentially listing Dai on our site. It's the one that we that we promote, and then we have a joint actually uh, offer with them where we're giving people two percent uh, in addition of the funds they request uh, when they select Dai. And so uh, you know, right now, Dai is sort of our, our the the one that we're leading with. It has really good liquidity in the markets that we're in, and uh, and you know we can do it if if the clients you know if if a particular client you know really request us to disperse in a different coin and they really have issues getting die, and it will make it work. Uh, but right now in our platform, the way it's set up, everything is just fully automated and ready to do with and ready to go with DAI.
1: So can you talk a little bit about the liquidity of DAI in these markets? First of all, which markets uh, in particular are you talking about and um, what's the liquidity like and what is the typical behavior of someone who's going to, you know, request DAI and then take it and use it for something?
2: Yeah. So the, the, I think the biggest markets where we've seen DAI since we've launched it have been uh, Colombia and Argentina. And uh, r- largely the people that are using DAI um, are people that are most times using it to buy more digital assets or to diversify into other digital assets. Um, we haven't yet heard people getting DAI to essentially go meet their day-to-day expenses uh, and, and essentially using them as dollars. Where I think that's getting closest is in Argentina. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm since or for a while now, we've been uh, members of the DAI Argentina groups and, and Mariano and Nadia. And, and I constantly chat with the DAI guys. And I've seen uh, these sort of OTC groups emerge where people trade Argentine pesos into dollars. And there's more and more activity on those groups. Uh, so it's, it's uh, still I think a way to get more Bitcoin or access DeFi or interest or yield in in other platforms. Uh, But I do see it potentially becoming more and more of a daily use case type of thing. So one good thing to mention actually in the Coindesk article that, uh, that was published about our announcement with Maker, they also made a note that um, Maker had another, uh, was working with another company called Pundi X and they're actually putting points of sales that are DAI enabled on a, lot of, on a lot of retailers in Venezuela. And so that, I thought that was also very interesting.
0: When you say DAI enabled, is it specifically DAI or is it any generic ERC-20? Uh, I,
2: I believe there's uh, several tokens that are accepted, but DAI is a big one of them. And another encouraging thing is uh, just an anecdote. So since the petrol has started to become forced on a lot of retailers in Venezuela, they have to, so they've been, they've been obliged essentially to accept the petrol. So what this has made them do is it may, it's made them realize, okay, well, I'll take Petro, sure. But by setting up the ability to take Petro, they set up the ability to take Bitcoin, you know, tether, die, whatever other else. And they are, essentially, they give you like a menu of things that they prefer. So like they list what they accept and they kind of imply in the order of which they would rank and preferred. Petro always ranks last naturally. Uh, but it's interesting that it, the stable coins rank in many cases ahead of Bitcoin, or they, a lot of people prefer stable coins uh, ahead of Bitcoin because of the volatility. And these people are just doing, you know they need to pay suppliers, et cetera. And largely the stable coin that is being shown time and again, and, and I actually saw this in a Crypto Notices article, is DAI. And they're, they're basically saying, you know, a lot of people list different stable coins and yes, you have some of the usual suspects, but it's, uh, it's surprising how much DAI is essentially popping up in places in that time.
0: So you brought this up at the very in the you know introduction of of London but I'd like to, you to go over it one more time um why why did DAI, uh or stablecoin become in demand versus just an actual traditional financial system uh I don't know what 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 that looks like down in Venezuela but but why why a cryptocurrency rather than um banking system or fiat or whatever
2: Sure. So there's a few reasons. And I can give you a couple of examples, namely in Colombia and in Venezuela. So in Venezuela right now, um, even though you, you can have a dollar bank account, you can only have it in a government bank. And so a lot of people don't trust the government or anything that it owns and would feel very much at risk if they sent their dollars, which is their sort of precious possession into a government held account. So a lot of people... Just because they can have one theoretically doesn't mean they can use it or want to use it. So this is one use case is people that actually cannot uh, readily get a U.S. dollar bank account uh, and they want some sort of stability. Uh, so DAI actually plays a role there where you cannot easily open a U.S. dollar bank account, but you can very easily register for an ERC-20 wallet and get some DAI. Uh, in the other use case, which is Colombia, Colombia has very interesting uh, laws around banking and somewhat restrictive around what people can and cannot do based on their normalized activity. Uh, So for example, we've had clients where they've received, uh, you know, they came, they they tried the service with a couple thousand bucks and they came back for another five. And then the second time around the bank was like, where are these $5,000 coming from? Is this income, have you reported it to, you know, their equivalent of the IRS? And so she has to go through a lot of these uh spanish tramites but in, you know in, in english it's essentially like you know you have to do paper you have to show up and she, they, you know they need copies of the loan agreement which we send and they've always been able to re- withdraw the funds release the funds it's never been an issue but this creates additional work for them so her third time around she said hey can i get this in any other way and so many times we were we were sending the loans the value of the loans in bitcoin uh, because Bitcoin had really good liquidity, so essentially people would get the funds in Bitcoin and they would convert. And instead of getting converting and getting dollars in their Venezuelan bank account, they would convert into bolivares as they needed, and they would chip it into their into their checking account as needed. Um, so, but you know that wasn't really always the best case. If, if somebody really needed the dollar amount and didn't, you know, it, it couldn't move, they were really looking for an amount, and they just needed it to be stable for call it a week or two. Uh, Bitcoin has some challenges with that. You know, we're a Bitcoin only company. I'm, a hard, I'm a, I would like to think to myself of myself a, of a, as a Bitcoiner. And, and I do think that there are, there are some true benefits to the fact that, you know, th- something can hold its dollar value for a little bit longer. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, those are the two main examples that I think come to mind that are, are sort of relevant is the Venezuela, you can't get one. Colombia just had challenges.
0: And so are you guys still uh plugged into the traditional rails uh for these existing companies or have you guys kind of just totally gone full crypto?
2: No, we're still we're still in the rails. Uh you know, a lot of our a lot of our investors from our debt book are traditional dollar investors, so you know, and a lot of our users actually still you know want dollars and demand dollars. So we're very much dollar based uh in also to clarify, when, the, when we issue loans in DAI, legally, we have to issue the documents in dollars. So like our agreements, the lending agreements and everything are still done in dollars, which is essentially we do an immediate transaction of, of converting those funds into, into DAI at the market rate. At where, at when, when that is, we give, we give users obviously what that's going to be on the site or a very close estimate. And then we fire off the funds to your ERC-20 address.
0: And then do you account for die price fluctuations in that, or do you just say one die is one dollar?
2: We account for fluctuation uh, so we show people at the time of the application, we show them what the current market rate is and what the dies they're going to get uh, and and essentially we we're, we're very transparent when it comes to that. you know we don't hold die treasury. Uh, we tell that to people we we, we use it as payment rails uh, and and we, we can take it as we receive them as payment rails, and this is really to facilitate. Getting the value to our users. To us, you know, Dai is just a, a one way, one more way, really, to transfer value across. Uh, in this, in this instance, a bit more stable as far as holding value relative to Bitcoin. So,
1: talking about how you are a a Bitcoiner, like, where do you see the landscape of crypto enabled money going? Like. Do you have any plans of incorporating Ethereum at all? Do you consider Ethereum to be good uh, collateral? I personally find it kind of ironic that you w- wouldn't list Ethereum as collateral but you're happy to list DAI, which is 100% Ethereum backed, or I guess mostly Ethereum backed at this point. Um so I guess where do you see the kind of landscape shaping out and what how, like what is your view of DAI long term?
2: Uh, yeah, so I think there's a, a you know there's a couple of questions in there. Um the first one being, you know, are we going to list Ethereum is, is why are we not listing Ethereum? Um, we're, we're, we like to think of ourselves as the most conservative lending service out there, at least for now. Uh, we, we always try to ru- like walk before we can run. And I don't have a, a personal vendetta on Ethereum or, you know, I, I don't, you don't know, have an. and obviously we work with DAI. Um, so I think what's, what we would like to see a little more around Ethereum before we go ahead and list it is, you know, it's, it's held really good liquidity. I think we've everyone has now seen a big downturn and it's it's sort of held its own. I can say the same for Dai. The fact that it held the peg even remotely close when when Ether just collapsed entirely in price was very impressive, uh, and, and I think that goes for uh, uh, yeah, Dai and and so. It's again. I think once we see things like uh, Ether futures or Ether options, and and just generally more liquidity around Ethereum, uh, I think it makes sense for us to list it as a collateral option. Um, and, and I think going back to your question about where I see the stablecoin market going, um, you know, this this might be a little bit controversial, but I think I've said this in passing to a few friends. It's like I think we're seeing crypto created this this or, or Bitcoin created this this crypto where. Tether kind, of, Tether kind of happened, I think, they kind of snuck up on everyone, how big it grew, like how quickly it grew and how fast it just ballooned. And because I think people kind of, when, when you saw Bitcoin and then you saw this, this dollar, you know, namely was only native to a particular exchange and these were these dollar credits. But then as you were starting to become able to transfer those credits around in dollar form and essentially create unstoppable dollars, by by put, by putting dollars in a bank account and sitting on a crypto rail that essentially became a very exciting thing for many people around the world right it's an unstoppable dollar it's KYC less it's AML less for the most part and i think you know people are might be drinking a little bit too much of the Kool-Aid to think that this unstoppable dollar is going to be allowed and the OFAC or treasury aren't going to step in when they feel like this dollar is getting a little bit out of hand or a little bit too big. Because as far as I understand it, the, most people are trying to keep these dollars sitting in a bank account in a, in a reputable you know, bank, somewhere set, sat in the, at the mercy of the SWIFT system, at the mercy of OFAC, at the mercy of treasury. And I don't know if a lot of these stablecoin companies can, you know, would hold up an audit and seeing that no sanctioned individuals are at any point using those dollars and uh, and or touching you know compromised accounts in any way, so I, I think it would be difficult. And I and I I do feel that there is some risk uh, to that that stablecoin providers are essentially not kind of dealing with at the moment uh, because I you know everybody would love unstoppable dollars, but you know the U.S. puts sanctions on for a reason. Uh, it's because they don't want those people getting dollars. And so if you're just going around the functions with this, you're using the same dollar <laughs> sitting in a Swiss system bank account to circumvent that, it's a little bit crazy to think that they're not going to do something about it. Um, which I think in, in, it did play a role in our decision to pick DAI because as much as you know, DAI has complexity and other trade-offs, uh, it doesn't have dollars sitting in a bank account somewhere. Uh, so it's, it will be harder to seize, it will be harder to kind of wind down if, if whatever was required. Mind you, they, they have a pool of investors in the U.S. And, and everything, so I think when the honey badger wants to get to someone, they'll get to them, uh, but I like the fact that DAI does not have reserves sitting in dollar form in a bank account.
0: It, to my knowledge, DAI is the only stablecoin that doesn't have a burn and mint function in it, other than the natural burning and minting of DAI from Genesis but like USDC and I think also tether can be revoked from a user's wallet. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And I think is I, I think I think so. the only
0: one that doesn't have that. Uh,
2: you may, you might be right. You might be right. And and again, we, we, we were coming at it, uh, you know, all of our clients go through full AML KYC. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not that we, that we're thinking, Oh, you know, let, let's, that's not uh, that's not really why we're doing it. But I think from a conceptual standpoint, um, the fact that that these guys don't have again dollars sitting somewhere a mm-hmm. a is, is very interesting technology and mm-hmm. b i think it provides a different risk profile right
0: yeah so like i th- your your thesis is like well maybe at some point in time there is a war against stable coins brought on by the us government or a coalition of governments but if if that day does come well dai will probably be the last stable coin to fall because of whatever whatever resistance that it does have uh, be that some centralized entity doesn't have. And then uh, would I would also throw on to that on top of that. Well, okay. So maybe if, if DAI does fall in that scenario, well then all DAI holders still get $1 worth of ether. And so like, okay, you stop, you don't give them stability anymore, but you still at least give them $1 worth of assets because that's how global settlement happens in MakerDAO. So there, there's always that, those backstops there regardless, no matter, no matter how you use DAI.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's just a, 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 a different risk profile. And again, you know, going back to adoption and just letting people know that it exists and where they can get it and, and building that liquidity, I think it's important to be there and in the markets that we're going to. I, I haven't, you know, in the research that we did, we just didn't come across any other stablecoin provider or, or company that had as much of a presence and as much of an interest in LATAM as, as Maker did. Uh, and perhaps if you guys, you know, you know, we we did a a big a big sort of thorough review, uh, but you know, I, I would almost pin it back to you guys. And and you know, if if not Dai, then you know, who do you think also is doing a decent job in, in Latam from the stablecoin side? I
1: I have no idea who's doing a good job. Uh, I do know that Tether is huge in Makedown. Asia, uh, and then yeah, I know uh, our homie Mariano. I want to kind of refocus though, in this kind of like long-term vision, like personally for me, I see stable coins as very useful right now and interesting, but long-term, like the idea of like a stable value token doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I feel like we need to transition to a world where money represents a stable amount of value, not like a stable amount of purchasing power because things lose their value. Things become easier to produce things their their purchase like their price needs to change because the world is changing around them like i i am waiting for a monetary paradigm shift and i just don't see stable coins as being a long-term fit into that like as a bitcoiner do you also agree with like kind of that vision that i, I painted or uh do you do you disagree with it
2: well you know i, I always have to cap my thinking yeah, every time I, I like to think that you know, something's going to go wildly utopian uh, or wildly dystopian. Uh, I go back to, you know, my, my, my life experiences, which was, you know, the the Venezuelan government, uh, not not the Venezuelan government per se, the the regime, it stopped being a government a while back. Uh, When, when a government wants something, they, they, they get it. Like, I mean, I've seen government use force to get, to, to get their agenda through. And I've seen, you know, shoot people <laughs> uh, to like incentive, to, to basically plant fear on everybody. I've seen them, you know, destroy the electoral council so that there was no fair elections. So I have a very, very hard time. And, and again, you know, these the kind of things are controversial somewhat in this industry, but I have a very hard time believing that the government's is just going to give up their right to print. Uh, because it's the right to, you know, jolt their economy. It will be political suicide for anyone that does it. And it'll be a a very low hanging socialist fruit for any other government to get back if it ever gets taken away, uh, because you need to print it to give subsidies. I I have a very hard time thinking that we're going to move past sort of the the, the fiat world. Uh, I do think that what is going to happen is you're going to have some fiats fail uh, because, as I think there's, there's good money and there's bad money, but if you wanted to put like money on a spectrum, like the US dollar with all its imperfections is a gentleman, <laughs> you know, whereas the Venezuelan Bolívar is like, a, you know, literally a criminal, a thug, like an armed dealer. And and those are the kinds of monies that people understand, you know, recognize don't work and people just vote with their wallets. And they're all, go- so there was an article by Bloomberg very recently that right now in Venezuela, there's more dollars than Bolívar is uh it, literally in circulation like if you count m1 m2 m three in the Venezuelan in the value of that versus like the cash dollars that have been flown in uh there's more dollars than actual so the company the, the country is by proxy dollarizing and you've seen this happen to some extent in other countries like ecuador is fully dollarized peru has a fully legal dollar pair uh panama is fully dollarized uh so I, I just think that this trend of you know government's or people rather see governments as they lose complete trust in their ability to manage finances and they take that power away by just using dollars and the, the governments can still grind you and force you to use bolivares like it does today but that power erodes more and more over time so you know i i have a harder time seeing and being frank like this you know, hyper bitcoinized world uh, in my lifetime where the dollar just fades away and everybody's using bitcoin and I've, I've been on the other side of wanting a country to get sanctioned right like most people are like sanctions are bad sanctions are you know don't do this you're hurting the people blah 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 for my adult life i've been largely on the other side of that agreement of that argument i've said this country has to get sanctioned this country has to get choked, they have to get deemed a criminal, because, uh, you know, maybe this is going down a, a really, really big, tangent. you're talking about
1: Venezuela, right?
2: Yes, yes. So like, this is going to go down a very a bit of a tangent, but we don't have a solution. It's like when, when we are in a society on a closed society, and I start basically doing things out of my own free will that start imposing or trespassing on your you know, freedoms, you know, there's a, there's a protocol. Like you can call the police. I can get arrested. I can get taken to jail. Like there's always someone with a bigger gun that comes in and sets order. Right. And we have, we have a policy when you transgress on me on like a local level. And we have another policy when a government transgresses on another government, you're like, okay, well, we're going to war. Like we're going to go fight with those guys. But when the government actually turns its guns on its own people and like erodes the system itself to, to, to essentially stay there forever, there is no international way of dealing, about it, dealing with it. Like, we're all just kind of pointing fingers, being like, are you going to go in there and help those people? No, like, I'm not going to basically send troops. Are you? No. Um, there's okay. no oil there. Well, no, but, in well. but but there is. And and it's, a lot of times, the fact that there is, is actually, I think, part of what, there's a lot of games at play. there's um, so there's too many games at play. But I guess all I'm trying to say is that with the sanctions, you have this way of having justice, at least in the eyes of the United States, be enforced, right? Like, and by that, I mean, if you know that these guys are dealing drugs and like funding programs that are hurting people and like really you know, prosecuting and going after a select group of people, why should they have access to use your beautiful financial system and your capital markets and your, all of this stuff, if they're doing things that go against your values? Right. You should have a way or a right to kick them out uh, or not let them use them. That's your right. And if we take away this this ability, essentially, for people to coordinate international action against a particular bad actor. Um, that's, I think, a big problem. Like what, one of the big issues that one of the, the, the dichotomies with Bitcoin is that, yes, it's helping a lot of people in my country, you know, potentially find freedom. But it's also helping the Venezuelan government evade sanctions. Like I've said this openly. Uh, and, and I'm torn with that. It bothers me. Um, but it's a reality.
0: Yeah. This is pretty timely right after we just had Virgil Griffith get arrested for going to North Korea and give that presentation, which, uh, is interesting because we, I mean, we can talk about cypherpunk, uh, Ideology and and how like you know the U.S. government has no and should not have any say in whether uh, uh, Virgil goes to some other country or not and shares information that's freely accessible on the internet. But at the same time, like who in North Korea is really going to benefit from learning how to use Ethereum? Like, is it the is it the people? It's not the people. It's it's the it's the government. Uh, and so there there's this double edged sword that this is this is our commitment when we make free open permissionless systems. Well, they're they're free, open, and permissionless, which means all the all parties get to use them, and that's why like all the, all the illegal stuff happens first, right? Like Silk Road comes first, uh, you know. Countries that we don't want to be included in our financial system get financialized, but that's just the way that it works. Like that's just because those guys are pushed out. Well, they're going to be the first people to come in, uh, and so like it, this this tornness that you're describing. I don't think that there's a really a good solution around it. I think it's just kind of the Faustian bargain that we uh, accept when we talk about creating one single global financial system. And so like maybe the costs come first, but I do think that the benefits, the, the benefits of the end game will always out, end up outweighing the cost.
2: No, I, I agree. I think the fundamental underlying assumption there is that there's more good people trapped in bad places than bad people that are going to get enabled by these services, right? Like you're you're going to, it's like the internet, right? Like, yeah, sure. It allows bad information to flow through, but there's just overwhelmingly more good information that's exchanging eyes and hands. And I think similar concepts to your point, but, uh, you know, at the same time, the flip side of that is like the first adopters, like the early adopters of this technology can, you know, find a way to perpetuate themselves a little bit longer, Uh, like the Venezuelan government seized a bunch of miners from private people, including ourselves and they're, you know, repurposing those S9s, and they're making money that's sanction-free, and they're using other people to go sell that for dollars elsewhere. And and so they're basically abusing or taking advantage of this system. Um, you know, in a way, by doing that, they're making the whole thing bigger, and it's getting more and more attention from everyone else. So it's actually kind of working as design. It's just a little painful when it's so close to you, uh, that, that side effect, you know?
1: So I would like to point out a couple things here. And you know, what you did kind of indicate is demonstrating Bitcoin as a, like a mega political game. Like this is a massive game that is happening on the, on a, you know, mega political level. And everyone at this point is, is kind of involved, which I find is extremely crazy and kind of proof of hyper Bitcoinization. Like hyper Bitcoinization doesn't need to be, everyone is using BTC like for everything. Like I think that that's well hyper Bitcoinization is Bitcoin becoming super relevant that that's the whole point. Um and the, the Bitcoin game is is really amazing to watch. Kind of on top of that, you indicated a lot of things that help us like the fiat system is good for, right? But I would point out like, hey, Bitcoin's helping, you know, Maduro and the and the Argentinian government, but guess what else also really helped them? Being able to print money for a really long time, right? And I would argue that that is actually, you know, something that's helped them a lot more and for much longer time and has been more sustainable for them because like in the long, in the long run, they're not going to compete in a hash competition with the most efficient people in the world. They're a government. We already know that they're inefficient. Like they, they just cannot compete in the long run. Um, and, and I, and I doubt that they will, like they will not be able to, uh, to get the easy money for long. So while the fiat system seems like it has redeeming qualities, again, like I would push back and say like, Maybe it seems ut- like, you know, I'm top- talking utopian, but, you know, Bitcoin is relevant in the world now. And so are a whole lot of other protocols, too. It's not just Bitcoin. You know, the Hydra is here and is going to compete with governments. And I think it's going to change how governments can operate, um, whether that's big or small. It's going to change it.
2: No, no, definitely. I mean, it it is changing the game. Like you're seeing that you're seeing it with the Petro, right? Like the Petro to me is like pure dystopia. Uh, you know, this guy is putting out this. you know know, putting the house out the window for a marketing campaign trying to do people into trading their dollars and bitcoin into this thing that he created uh and you know he uh it's interesting because they're they're trying to Poison the narrative, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get people to, to you know, think the petro is going to save them because they're reading all about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And this thing all sounds like very high tech and like Star Wars. And they're like, now Venezuela has the best one. Like we created this and they're putting out like ads of people mining gold to back the petro in these like illegal mines. I, I tweeted about that this morning. It, it's just what they're doing. is just disastrous. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, people in Venezuela are so confused. Like the petrol has a, an official value in one place, then on a different government site, it has a completely different value. Uh, sorry, that's my thought. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in essence, I, I think, you know, it, it is going to change the dynamic, for sure. Uh, I just think it's going to be very hard for any government to give up the power to print. Uh, you know, even Venezuela today, like, it's, it's, the companies are still forced to accept bolivars and you know it's easy to say you know oh yeah you're going to get it out of the hands of this you're going to get it out of the hands of that but ultimately like they have the guns they can threaten you with jail uh they can threaten you with a lot of things that meat space is the end game right like meat space is where the bucket stops and i think it's very easy to say oh yeah like you know a lot of these measures and like a lot of these crypto things that we think are great it's like You know, not, yeah, sure. Like, oh, I lost my coins in a boat accident. Oh, really? You have a gun to your head and you're going to say you had a boat accident? I would love to see you basically tell a guy that has a gun to your head in a place like Rio de Janeiro or Venezuela where they can literally shoot you and walk down the street and not get caught. And, you know, they just caught you at the bad place at the bad time. Or for example, like if you're a refugee crossing, you know, whatever, and you get caught by a guard and the guard is like, oh, what are these 24 words? You know, if Bitcoin gets that big, they'll know what it is. And so it's, it's meat space has the realest of risks. And I think a lot of the thought leadership and a lot of the design that's been done in here has been done from a place where, you know, those risks are, you know, somewhat theoretical, right? Like I, you know, some, some features have, I I see some wallets that had this, uh, uh, this, and this is not a dig on anybody, but like. There's this features that are like, oh, yeah, no, if you, if you click here, it'll show you a fake balance to your thief or to whoever. And I'm like, have you ever been robbed, man? <laughs> like, have you actually had a gun to your head and been told to like, tell these people what you have and like, you know, had to ask or, or respond to a request? Because I've been robbed many times. And not one time, not once did it ever cross my mind to lie to these people. Like, or, or to not be fully... Like, your life is your life, and that's what matters the most. And when 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 rubber hits the road, you won't care about sats or whatever. Like, when a gun's in your head, a gun's in your head. So I just think that there's limitations, and the government is very freaking scary when it wants to be. Uh, you know, and we, we haven't really felt the full wrath of the government basically pushing back, is what I think.
0: So I'd like to present what I think is a Bitcoin perspective and, and see if this resonates with you, uh, or not. Um, and for those people in the live stream, we're going to wrap this up in about 10 minutes. So if you have a question for Maricio, uh, put it in chat and, and we'll read it. Uh, and so, so the Bitcoin perspective is that, uh, Bitcoin is going to proliferate, become more sound, more solid, more hard, uh, and, uh, countries or or governments uh, like the venezuelan government is going to be uh they're going to be stripped of their ability to print money because everyone's going to prefer bitcoin and because it's permissionless and accessible on the internet um and and everyone can access it and opt out of their filthy nation nation state fiat Uh, and so what we were talking about earlier is that um these countries these not ideal governments like the venezuelan government Are going to, or the North Korean government, or whoever, are going to be the first people to, or maybe perhaps, are the first people to mine Bitcoin or stockpile Bitcoin uh, because they they uh, have that extra incentive because they they have sanctions from the U.S. government and so Bitcoin operates as a way for them to opt in to a new financial system. But I think the Bitcoiners would say that like. Okay, so Bitcoin is around. So the Venezuelan government has a bunch of Bitcoin and they don't have the ability to print any more um, uh, Petros or Bolivares. Is that the Venezuelan currency? Um, And and so maybe the whole high time or the low time preference thing comes into play with governments too. And so like uh, the Venezuelan government can't print any more money and they only have Bitcoin in their reserves. And so if the concept of low time preference comes around, uh, the Venezuelan government needs to start looking into the far future in order for them to uh, be self-interested in their own success and maybe start stop being such a, a terrible uh, organization and start being uh, more interested in the long-term health of their country because that's what low time preference do. Does that bite at all with you or does that sound like a bunch of hogwash?
2: No, no, that does bite. And I think that's in, in, to some degree, largely what you've seen today. So Okay, so the way I see it is people have always had the option to, for the most part, either through their legitimate market or the black market, you've always had the option to opt out of your currency. And most people, you know, the name of the game until Bitcoin came around was just holding U.S. dollars. Like that was the top of the mountain if you were in LATAM. And if you were really sophisticated, you'd buy some U.S. assets, which is like great. And if you're like really, really, really sophisticated, you'd buy U.S. stock. Uh, And it was like, oh, my God, like that's like the the one of the 1% in Latin. Uh, And that's essentially how wealthy families perpetuated their wealth. They saw inflation in the local coin. They held some overseas assets. They would basically take debt in the local coin, buy overseas assets, wait for the inflation to do its thing, do it back. So this you've always had it. And what that created is you create it creates hyperinflation in the local environment. So. At the end of the day, hyperinflation can go to infinity. We've seen that in Venezuela. We've seen that in Zimbabwe. We've seen that in a lot of places. But I think a lot of the times it comes down to the strength of the democratic institutions. And, and a lot of times the governments are so entrenched, like in Zimbabwe and in Venezuela, where they will, there you know, it requires a change in government to make these things happen, and it never changes. <laughs> uh, it just gets perpetuated for twenty years or thirty years, and then the next guy over is too afraid to do it because he feels like they're going to might, might want to need it. So I guess all I'm trying to say is there's been an impetus for governments to stop printing, especially the hyperinflated currencies, because hyperinflation existed well before Bitcoin. But hyperinflation does not equate you know, the government giving up the rights to print and the government giving up the rights to hold as- uh, treasuries and other assets. Mind you, I-, I love Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin will become part of the portfolios of people everywhere in the world. And namely in that time because where they used to want to have dollars, they're now going to want to have a piece of Bitcoin. Bitcoin behaves a lot more like a stock. And it has that sort of preservation value in US dollar terms. So people are going to realize that there's inflation in the dollar as well. And if that inflation, if they could just shave off that inflation by holding Bitcoin, they're going to hold that. Uh, it's a, it's harder, sounder money. And they're going to, it's going to become a part of their portfolios. But I just don't think that because there's a new vehicle for you to opt out of your fiat of your crappy fiat onto um, that just equals people getting rid of it. Uh, right. Like it's just one more way for you to get rid of your crappy local fiat uh, and actually the best way in my view. Uh, and I, you know, I, I would, I encourage people that I have down there that I have, that I know have portfolios to hold some Bitcoin. Uh, and then, to, and that opens up, Bitcoin also opens up access to services that you don't have. Like a lot of people, like I mentioned, don't have access to, to dollar bank accounts or loans or, say, or interest or, you know, anything that earns any kind of yield. And now with Bitcoin, you have access to all of these things uh, and you don't have to have an account of Wells Fargo or JP Morgan.
1: Maurizio, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, This was very interesting to kind of get your perspective. I love getting people on the show that kind of have a nuanced take on Bitcoin and Ethereum rather than just a Bitcoin-centric or Ethereum-centric perspective. So you definitely fit that mold. And I think uh, this was a really awesome and unique piece of content. So thanks so much for for making it happen. Uh, Before we leave, where can the viewers and later our listeners... Um, find you, learn more about you potentially take a loan
2: that, yeah definitely our site is leden.io uh, our social media handle is hodl with leden and uh, my personal social media is cryptonomista, so that's cryptonomist with an A at the end and uh, mauricio at leden.io so any one of those is is good
0: all right so yeah, thanks for coming on thanks for taking part in our live stream thanks for the i think upwards of 20 25 people that were here at one point in time uh, really appreciating the the live stream format and so thanks for letting us experiment with that
2: no worries it was a pleasure guys
0: rock and roll you can find the show
1: at pov crypto pod you can find me at ck underscore snorx you can also find the three
0: of us at bitcoin 2020 david you can find me at Trustless TrustlessDate, both on Twitter and on Medium, and I guess now on YouTube.